Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Um, I don't normally do this, um, but last week Tim spoke um, and he said something that was just blatantly incorrect. So um, I feel the need to correct it. He was talking about Nazareth and he said the verse that that says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, And being the Canadian that he is, um, he picked on Buffalo. I was born in Buffalo, New York. I like to think good things can come out of Buffalo. Yay, even the Buffalo Bills. But um, I just felt like that needed to be addressed this morning a little bit. Um, But uh, that's not our passage for this morning. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 24 together. We'll be starting in verse 13, um, looking at the road to Emmaus. And uh, we'll, we'll make our way towards the end of the passage just a little bit at the end. But Starting in verse 13 of Luke 24, Luke writes this. He says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and looked sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God, And all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found out, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessarily that necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scripture the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as we get to this passage, I know this is not the traditional Christmas passage, um, but hopefully um, it helps us to understand better. What's going on at the incarnation? Um, Because this is really the purpose for which Jesus came as expressed in this passage today. But Christmas carols are an interesting thing. So as I I was looking over what we would be singing today, 
Um, I noticed we were singing Infant Holy, Infant Lowly, and it's a great song. Um, but the first stanza is, is, is interesting. It says, for his bed, a cattle stall, oxen lowing, little knowing. And to me, just the vision of the Chick-fil-A cows come to mind. Um, I don't know if that's just me. Um, how many of you had Chick-fil-A calendars back when those were a thing? Yes. Why did they do away with those? Um, it could not have been a business decision because, let's be honest, we all went to Chick-fil-A on the first of every month because we got free food at Chick-fil-A. Um, but those were the best, right? Um, and Chick-fil-A's whole marketing campaign is a very genius one. You know, they put the cows everywhere. They're up on all the billboards and they're intelligent cows. They know. Um, and they're writing all these phrases about chicken and all that stuff. Apparently those were not the cows there in the stall, um, according to the Christmas Carol. But this Christmas Carol captures really what we're going to look at today. Um, because it goes on to say, Christ, the babe is Lord of all swift are winging angels singing. Noel's ringing tidings, bringing Christ the babe is Lord of all. And that's the purpose for which he came. And that's what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 24. So Luke portrays the resurrected Jesus as the keystone in the arch of the divine plan of Israel. Jesus sits at the center of everything that has been going on in the nation of Israel. Everything that's going to happen afterwards. Jesus Christ coming in baby form to then die for our sins, to raise from the dead. All of that is at the center of what's going on in the nation of Israel and what's happened since. And so as we look at Luke 24, we're going to see that Christ is the culminating work to redeem us. In verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so we didn't take the time to read it, but you can probably see there's probably a heading in your Bible there at the beginning of Luke chapter 24. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we have a wonderful story, a wonderful account of Jesus Christ rising from the dead and just how impactful that was. And it's amazing that it's the very same day. It's not a couple days later. It's not a month later. Very same day. And then it says two of them. And uh, some some of you might be English people, and you're like, okay, so that's a that's a misplaced modifier, dangling modifier, whatever that might be. Um, it doesn't exactly identify who the them are, but if you go back to verse nine, well, really verse eight, we'll start there. It says, and they remembered his word, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so these two, whoever they might be, these the two of them are part of the rest. So the eleven disciples are still back there in Jerusalem, but. Two of them, whoever they are, we know one is Cleopas. We don't know what the other's name is. Um, some have kind of made the hypothesis that it's probably a husband and wife. Other people think it's two men. We really don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But what we do know is they're on their way to the village of Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, seven miles walking today seems really, really far, right? Um, most of us probably... Live, well, some of you probably live within seven miles of church and you did not walk this morning, right? Um, I have no far, no clue how far away seven miles is from here. Um, but it would take a long time, about two and a half hours probably, depending how fast you walk. Um, these probably aren't like two um, ladies power walking through the mall. Um, they're probably taking their time, making their way to the village of Emmaus. It's not real clear. Um, people aren't able to identify exactly where the village of Emmaus was. Um, and I guess they made it to Emmaus, but they turned back and went back to Jerusalem. So, you know, Emmaus doesn't really play a huge part in what's going on there, but 
here we have these two followers of Jesus Christ. They've been there. They've been with Jesus Christ. Um, but now they're on their way to Emmaus, the very day of his resurrection. So in verse 14, it says, they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And what's happening there in Jerusalem is a cultural moment. Everybody in Jerusalem knows what's taken place over the last week. They know who Jesus is. They know that he's been crucified. And we don't have a whole lot of cultural moments like that in our world today. Um, probably the closest thing that we can come to um, recently when, when the Queen of England passed away, that, that like shook our whole world, right? Um, and I, I work at a college campus, and it's amazing the amount of like 18-year-olds that all of a sudden really cared about the Queen of England. Um, and like, you know, that was our cultural moment where we all come together. And that's what that is in this time. Like everybody's talking about it. Everybody's wondering what's really going on here in the nation of Israel. And in verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. That's just amazing to think about. They're, they're talking about Jesus. And as they're talking about Jesus, he just kind of comes alongside them and just goes, yeah, how are you guys? And just starts talking with them. But this word for, for discussing um, may, may be a great translation. It can just mean carrying on a conversation, but it probably has more the idea of to argue or to debate. Um, so, you know, as we try to figure out, is this husband and wife? This is two men. I mean, I'm not going to step into that, but, um, it might be two seminary guys. Um, they like to debate, right? Um, but they're debating about what's going on. And it's probably like a pretty, a pretty lively conversation. So I don't, I don't know if any of you've been to the Middle East or if you have Middle Eastern friends, but when they debate about things, they really debate about things and it gets very lively, very fast. And so they're, they're here, they're on the road, they're discussing, they're debating, they're probably arguing back and forth, trying to figure out what exactly just happened. And Jesus himself draws near and he begins to go with them. And in verse 16, it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's amazing what happens here in this passage. They've spent time we can assume they've probably spent time at least looking at who Jesus is because they're there with the 11 disciples earlier that day. So they probably know what Jesus looks like, but their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And so as, as we look at this and we try to figure out exactly what's going on, it's a passive verb. It means like somebody's doing the action to them. So it's a, it's a supernatural keeping of their eyes from recognizing him. God himself shields the eyes of these two disciples, these two people walking on the road to Emmaus so that they don't recognize who Jesus is. And I can just imagine how the end of this story plays out as they make their way back to Jerusalem and they end up there in Jerusalem with the disciples and uh, they say, so we walked with Jesus for two and a half hours and we had no idea who he is. And the disciples being like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you didn't know who Jesus was for two and a half hours? Like, I'm assuming Peter's a little bit shy at this point, though. Um, he's had his own little things going on. Um, but probably some of the other ones are, are really wondering, how could you not tell? And it's really because God himself shielded their eyes from, from understanding who Jesus was. And so in verse 17, it says, And Jesus says to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And that word for holding is an idea it it has the idea of like throwing back against or probably the idea of they're definitely arguing there's an argument that's being had there's a lively discussion and jesus asked them what what are you arguing about what is this you're actually talking about 
And they stood still and they, they looked sad. It's amazing that this is included in this account by Luke. You know, we can just kind of like skip over it. But Luke, Luke takes the time to actually say this. And that is they actually stop. And they, they're actually grieving about Jesus Christ who's died. And that they don't think has actually risen from the dead at this point. And then one of them named Cleopas answered in verse 18. And he says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And as you think through that question, um, this is something that I would probably say, um, but something I would not want to say to God himself in human form, right? Um, so Cleopas just goes, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? Um, there, there's a little bit of sarcasm in that, um, but it's amazing to see how Jesus responds. And he says to them, what things? Go ahead, tell me, what things? And of course, we know this story. Um, we're sitting here and we got, we have all the epistles afterwards. We know how this is all going to work out. They don't know any of that. Um, they're sitting there in the story and they're just thinking, who is this guy that doesn't have any idea what's going on? And it's Christ himself. And really the passage that comes to mind is Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, where it talks about have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought who, though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal with God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And as I think about this passage and the way that Jesus responds, it's amazing. Even post resurrection, Jesus has conquered. Like he has come and he's accomplished what he planned to do. Even post resurrection, what is one of the main traits that he has? Humility. He walks alongside them. He takes their sarcasm in stride and he allows them to just kind of say what they have to say. And there's a reason he's doing all this, obviously, but it comes back around and Cleopas says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. And here we see actually a a pretty good understanding of the gospel, except for the end. Um, And they had hope in Jesus Christ. They had hope that he would redeem Israel. But they don't have a full understanding of what's happened. And actually, what's said here in verse 21 I think Jesus, when he explains it later on in this chapter, is going to say, okay, you understood a small part of that. And that is the fact that they understood that Christ's culminating work was to redeem them. And that's, that's what they thought all Jesus was coming to do was to redeem Israel. And that's what we need him to do. But what Jesus, when Jesus explains it, he expands that a whole lot. Um, but Christ has accomplished his purpose. And if I'm sitting here in this conversation, there's there's no way I could keep silent. Like, you're listening to this, and it's sad. Like, it's very saddening. 
they're, they're talking about what Jesus did. And he says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And the assumption is, but I guess we were wrong. I guess we didn't get it right. Jesus isn't actually the one that's going to do that. We're going to look for another Messiah. And it's amazing that Jesus just stands there and walks alongside of them and doesn't correct them at this point. And then they go on, second half of verse 21, and it says, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And as, they, as we read through that account, like several things come to mind. And that is, how can you leave Jerusalem not knowing? Like, this is not 2022 where you leave Jerusalem and you say, okay, somebody send me a text when we figure out how this works out. Um, that's not happening. They're not, they're not going to figure out from a phone call, from a text. Like, they leave Jerusalem with an empty tomb. And they have no idea what the, what the resolution of the story is going to be. But they're willing to leave. And it's amazing that even in the midst of all of this, they leave Jerusalem. And that might be a little bit telling about where they are and their understanding of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Um, maybe they thought, well, I guess this is it. I guess we got to go back to Galilee or wherever they're from and we got to get on with our lives. Maybe they had important business to tend to. You know, Luke really doesn't tell us, but nonetheless, on a day where an empty tomb for Christ is found, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're headed out. So in verse 25, Jesus finally comes into the conversation. He says, okay, enough is enough. It's my turn. And he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Finally, Jesus interjects himself into the conversation. And Jesus is going to bring clarity to everything that they're confused about. Everything that they're debating about is going to be made clear in what Jesus has to say. But what Jesus says here in verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says as a question, like, don't you already know this? Because he's already said it multiple times. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Spoiler alert, they did not sink into their ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. A few chapters later, in, in chapter 18, verse 31, it says, And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Multiple times before Jesus goes to suffer and die on the cross, he tells them exactly what was going to happen. And they just did not understand. And really, how could they? I mean, we, we have the entire canon of scripture. So we, we can look at these things and we know how they're going to work out. And it, it's easy for us to, to look at this and say, 
Well, of course they should have known. Like Jesus told them multiple times. But when you're living in that moment and Jesus says this, it just says they're afraid and they didn't know how to ask him what he was even saying. And so they come to the end and they still don't get it. So in verse 27, it tells us, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scripture, the things concerning himself. And really, this is probably one of the greatest sermons of all time. And I like, I wish it would tell us like at what point of the road Jesus joins them and how long this conversation is, because, you know, two, two hours is not a long time to really, you know, start in Genesis, work your way through. Um, but somehow it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And I think that goes back to chapter 18, which we just looked at, where it says that everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. And they didn't get it then. And so here are these two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus says, you didn't get it then. So I'm going to be a lot more explicit here. And I'm going to actually show you in scripture. And I can't imagine what that sounded like. And that must have been amazing as you walk down this road and you start thinking about it and, and what this man is saying. And they don't even know it's Jesus yet. And he's just telling them about this. And it, it doesn't say that there's any discussing going on in this section. It just says Jesus is just going through and he's just explaining all of it. And he's just walking through the whole Old Testament and he's showing that he was supposed to suffer. He was supposed to die. And in verse 28, they finally arrive where they were going. They draw near to the village to which they are going. He acted as if he were going farther. That's, that's one of my favorite like <laughs> parts of this story. Um, and really in all of scripture, like that line right there, um, Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going and they were like, no, no, please stay. And he's like, okay. Um, and this happens actually. Um, so we talked about the country that I'm going to, um, during the, the nine fifteen hour. Um, but in that culture, it's, it's very common, uh, when you're over at people's houses, they'll, they'll say, Hey, you should spend the night here. And you're supposed to say, Oh no, 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 I couldn't. Um, and then they'll ask you again and you're supposed to say no. Um, and it's normal for them to do that here in America. We don't do that. Okay. Um, so I was over at, um, some friend's house yesterday. Um, none of them were like, Hey, you should really spend the night here. Um, it'd be really great if you take my bed, I'll sleep on the couch. Um, but that's normal in some cultures and and here Jesus is, he's acting as if he's going to go on farther so that they actually invite him in and they urge him. They urge him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening. And the day is now far spent. And keep that in mind. Like what they're saying is, okay, we're, we're getting in the closing hours. There's, there's not too much farther you're going to be able to go today, Jesus. So you should really join us. You should really just stay with us for a meal and for the evening. And so he does stay with them. It's late, late, late in the day. Jesus stays with them. Jesus really never had intentions to do anything but stay with them. So he sits down with them. And when they're at table in verse 30, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And in that moment, you should have flashbacks of different things that have happened throughout the Gospels. And there's actually a lot of similarities between this and the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus sits down, the feeding of 5,000. They bring the two loaves, the five fish, and they break it. He blesses it and he distributes it out. He sits down at the Last Supper. He takes the bread. He breaks it. He blesses it. He distributes it out. He does it here. And in that moment, verse 31, their eyes were opened. 
And that must have been like an incredible moment. Like we probably have all had light bulb moments where something just clicks all of a sudden. But that has to like trump every single thing that we've ever had in our lives. When you're sitting down, you've just argued about what happened to Jesus. Jesus has just preached this whole entire sermon to you about who he really is. You sit down to eat bread. He breaks it and you're like, it's Jesus. We've been with Jesus this whole entire time. And it had to be an incredible moment. And we know it is because of what happens next in the story. But as soon as they recognize him, what happens? Just vanishes. Just like that. And it's like, I would have had so many questions. And I would have wanted to apologize a lot. Um, But in that moment, Jesus is gone. He vanishes. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And this is probably a dangerous thing, but I'm just working out an illustration in my mind right now. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie Show Me the Father. Um, it's, it's a film about how we need fatherhood in our culture today and really how God is the real father, the father that will never let you down. He will always take care of you. And there's a massive plot twist in that movie, and I, I can't give it away if you haven't seen it. Um, but there's a massive plot twist, and everybody starts crying. Um, and, you know, we, we watched it with a bunch of high schoolers at a camp at Bob Jones this summer. And all the guys were like, I'm not crying. I just got something in my eye. Um, and uh, but in that moment, you're like you're in the movie. You like realize there's something that's kind of like burning in you that that whole movie, like something's coming, but you don't know what it is. And then when it happens, you're like, yes. And that's the moment they're having times like a thousand. And so. They realize this whole time as Jesus was talking through the scripture, their hearts were burning within them. So what do they do? Well, it says that the hour was late and that the day was far spent. It just told us that. That's why Jesus stopped to stay with them. But in verse 33, it says, and they rose the same hour. Who knows if they even actually ate? Like it doesn't even say if they ate or not. It just says they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. They rushed back to Jerusalem. I can imagine that their time heading back to Jerusalem was probably a lot less than their time hiking out to Emmaus because they were excited about the news they had. They had left that day thinking there's an empty tomb and we don't understand it and we don't know why. And they returned knowing that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. He was in fact the one to redeem Israel. And so they returned to the disciples. They don't feel embarrassed. In fact, they're excited. They're rushing back to tell them about the risen king who loves the nations. And so in verse 34, it says, they tell them the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, if we end it there, our main takeaway from this morning would be Jesus is the king who redeems Israel. Because that's the way that they understood this so far, is that Jesus had come to redeem Israel. And because he rose from the dead, just like he said he was going to, that Jesus redeems Israel. But real quickly, we're going to look at the next section. We're just going to read through it. And then I'm going to make one point from one of the verses about what Jesus Christ has to say about himself. And in verse 36, it says, as they were talking about these things, it's amazing. Like these things are all just happening in the same day. Like what a day. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet and that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. And they said to them, these, and then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus told the two followers on the road to Emmaus, is that everything that was written in scripture would be fulfilled in him. And he continues on in verse 45. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, I think we get a second message here from Jesus. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So again, we have this idea that Christ is going to suffer and he's going to rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Do you see how Jesus describes it? The way that the followers on the road to Emmaus describe it is, we thought you were the one that would redeem Israel. The way that Jesus describes it says, I died and suffered and on the third day rose from the dead so that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus never intended what he did on the cross to just be for Israel. And that's really good hope for us, right? Because we're sitting here, and this is not Israel. We're sitting here in America, and we're far away from Israel. We are, in one sense, kind of the ends of the earth from where Israel is, right? But we're sitting here, we're gathered together, we're worshiping Jesus because we know that Jesus is the king for all the nations. He loves all the nations. And from my understanding, December is a month where you guys, as a church, you come together and you think through how does the incarnation move us to be involved in missions? And I think it moves us because we understand that the purpose that Jesus Christ came for is expressed here. It is expressed by saying in verse 46 that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus came to die. And so in the birth of Christ, we have the awesome hope that he was actually going to take our place and die the death we couldn't die so that we could have the life we couldn't live without him. And then to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. I think what the birth of Christ is really about is not just about me being saved. It's not just about you being saved, but it's about the nations. It's about God's intentions to bring every tribe, tongue, and nation to his throne one day to worship him. And we read that at the beginning from Revelation chapter 7. But it's all because Jesus would come in human form. That he would be a baby born in a manger so that he could die for our sins. So that we could then proclaim this message to all 
nations. And that's the importance of what's happening here at Christmas. And I think sometimes here in America, we, we can be tempted um, as, as we're you know, going through all the motions, all the holiday season. Uh, we had an international student from uh, one of the stand countries come into our office not that long ago, just beaming with joy. And going, it's so exciting that everybody's celebrating the birth of Christ here in America. And I go, okay, um, I'll, I'll let you think that for a little bit. Um, I don't want to crush that. But we can sometimes confuse that. And uh, I remember as, as a kid growing up, uh, my mom, my mom is sweet. She's wonderful. Um, and she's always thinking about ways um, to kind of bring spiritual elements into, into our lives, especially when we were young boys. Um, and my mom every year would wrap a gift to Jesus. Um, so we'd have a gift under the tree for Jesus. And before we could open any of our gifts, we would have to write something down that we were going to give Jesus that year. Um, and so every year we would do that. Um, and every year we'd give something to Jesus. And really what, what Jesus wants for us is here in verse 48, it says, you are witnesses of these things. Like if you want to give something to Jesus this year, which you should, you should give to him your life. And you should ask the question, how can I use my life most effectively for what God's doing around the world? And for some of you, that might mean you stay here in this church and you work faithfully and you're part of this church and you're part of reaching this community. And for some of you, it might mean going to very different places, very hard places. And I think one of the things about going to hard places is we should expect to suffer. We've, we've had very, we've been very abnormal here in America and that we haven't suffered much for Christ. And I think we all know that that could change very quickly and it seems to be changing in our culture. But at the same time, we should expect suffering. And sometimes when we think about missions, we think, oh man, that's going to be really hard. And are you sure you want to go there? And like, you might give your life there. And that happens. It happened recently with um, a, a missionary that probably some of you probably know or might know somebody who knew that missionary in Iraq. And that happens. But it's not a tragedy when somebody gives their life for the sake of the gospel to take Jesus' name where it's not yet known and then gives their life for that purpose. Like when they enter heaven, they hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we should expect that kind of suffering because Christ suffered for us, not so that we could live an easy life, but so we could make his name known to the nations. So he finishes off here in verse 49. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. As we think about what's going on here during this holiday season, a lot of us are probably seeing unsafe family members so we think about missions and the difficulty and the challenges that that's going to be, we need to remember verse 49. We don't do it alone. We don't try to accomplish everything that Christ has called us to do by ourselves. We have the spirit within us. And the spirit empowers us to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Whether those be here in Greenville, South Carolina, whether it be around the world in very difficult places to do those things. Whatever God calls us to, his spirit will empower us to do it. And so if I could encourage you all um, with, with Luke 24, it, it would be 
the temptation to wrap Christmas in this red, white, and blue box and think of Christmas kind of as, you know, our American thing. And really, as we look at Luke 24, I think that was the understanding on the road to Emmaus. These disciples, I think they thought this is really a Jewish thing. The Messiah is really a Jewish thing. And what Jesus says here at the end of the chapter is, no, no. I'm not just the Messiah for the Jews. I came so that my name could be proclaimed to all nations. And so as we celebrate Christmas, as we think about Christ coming in human form, he came for the nations. And we've been blessed by that. Most of us are probably not ethnically Jewish. We've been blessed by the fact that Christ came for the nations. But there are still nations out there that haven't heard of Christ. And we should be thinking about how we can do something about that, especially during this season when we think about why Christ came for us.